But it's so great to see you all. Uh, yeah, it's great to see all these lovely smiling faces. Um, as Anne said, we've, uh, we've been doing a series called Family Matters, and uh, we started, got a bit of feedback there. We, uh, we started in June, uh, at, in the beginning of the middle of the year, where we, we started our first part of the Family Matters series, and uh, we looked at some core values that we have as a church, um, how we're trying to build a culture of love and grace as a, as a church family, and celebrate all the diversity within this amazing church family. We've got so many different cultures, different generations, and it's a wonderful opportunity to journey with each other, and we want to create space for conversations where we can hear each other's stories and uh, just be a, a community that's compassionate towards one another as we rooted in God's timeless truth and grace for our lives. And so the second part that we've just started last Sunday is of our Family Matters series. We're looking at the whole um, idea of identity in God. Um, and so I'm going to continue with that today. And I said last week that our self-concept is shaped by very many different factors. Uh, when we talk about our, our identity, we are talking about the ways in which we've constructed a framework for ourselves to reflect and define who we see ourselves to be. And last week, I spoke about the impact of postmodern perspectives, which have led to the self-concept being quite unstable and fragmented. And it seems that the philosophical progression over the centuries has slowly and steadily eroded the authority and the validity of God's word as an answer to the existential angst that pervades our society. But it is into this fragmented world of relative truth, which is really defines our self-worth by, by our inner subjectivity rather than what's externally objective. It's into this context that the gospel of Jesus still speaks. And so in this Family Matter series on identity in God, we want to affirm four key elements of a biblical view of self that has never changed through all the centuries. And these four things are, I am loved, I am chosen, I am forgiven, and I am free. So maybe if you, if you weren't here last week and you haven't had a chance to catch up last week, I looked at the whole idea of I am loved. And I looked at John 3, verse 16, that very well-known verse. For God, the almighty creator of all, so loved the world, this broken, desperate world, that he gave, it's in his nature to give, his only begotten son. There's no one like Jesus. That whoever, it doesn't matter who you are, whoever you are, if you believe in him, you put your trust in him, you won't perish in this life or in the life to come, but you will have eternal life. You'll have that knowing of God as your father, your intimate friend. And so that's something of what we spoke about last week. And, and then these amazing words from Romans 5 verse 5. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. 
This love of God, when we say I am loved, is not something we have mental assent to. It's something we experience. It's meant to be an experiential love. And we get to experience it because God pours it into our hearts through his Holy Spirit. So that's just to lay a foundation uh, for what I want to speak about today, which is I am chosen. And it actually comes out of this whole theme of I am loved. I'm sure we've all had that uh, childhood experience of playing a game involving the picking of two teams where two children are made the captain of each side and the rest of the cohorts kind of line up in a line willing the captains to choose them for their team. And they go, me, me, pick me, pick me. Best friends and sure winners get chosen first. And then one by one, the group is whittled down till the last one left standing is no longer really a choice, but begrudgingly accepted onto the team. Anyone ever had that experience growing up? I see a lot of hands. (laughs) Whether you were the first to be chosen or the last or somewhere in the middle, a firm peer group order was established And without anything being said, everyone knew their place and their worth in the order of things, at least on the playground. Well, maybe you remember going to a party and wondering if you would be asked to dance or passed over for a more attractive and engaging person. Anyone ever had that experience? Or can you think of a job interview when you heard the words, don't call us? we'll call you. Or perhaps yours was the experience of being headhunted and everyone was bidding for you to come and work for them. To be chosen is one of the most life-affirming experiences. And conversely, to be rejected can be one of the most soul-destroying experiences. And I don't think you have to be old for very long or to get older in your life and go through life to have not had some experience of rejection. And we all begin to form concepts of our sense of worthiness through experiences of being accepted or rejected by others. We can even begin to fashion an internal narrative of what we must do and become in order to be acceptable in certain relationships or social contexts. And we may wonder that if people saw us on a bad day, would they still accept us? But then along comes God, and he totally turns our worlds upside down. Because being chosen by God has nothing to do with any of these criteria. The longer I'm in church leadership, I realized what an important part good biblical theology plays in us forming a healthy self-concept by giving us a God-shaped context and purpose for our lives. The Bible reveals identity an identity that stems from God's perspective. It's God-centered rather than self-centered. 
And this theme of being chosen abounds in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And I looked, there was over 200 verses just on being chosen by God. And so for this series, obviously, that could take you a whole year to just do that theme. Uh, I've just tried to capture a few thoughts that I felt for us as far as time would help us root ourselves in that biblical understanding of self that I am chosen. So the first thing I want to speak about is I was chosen because I am loved. And I know this is a bit old school and it's also going to be maybe a little uncomfortable, but do you think you could say that with me? I'm going to say it again. I was chosen because I am loved. Can we all say it together? I was chosen because I am loved. I think there's something powerful when you say it out loud. In Deuteronomy 7 from verse 6 to 8, it says these words, The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples on the face of the earth, it was not because you were more in number than any of the other people that the Lord set his love on you or chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers. The Israelites were God's chosen people through his promise and his covenant with Abraham. But Moses makes it very clear in these words that God chose this ragtag group of nomads because the Lord loved them. He chose them out of his love. And we see in Thessalonians 1 verse 4, Paul uses the same idea when he writes to the Thessalonian believers, where now, through Christ, the church has become God's chosen people through a new covenant of grace. And he says these words, We know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Last week, I spoke about the fact that God is love. It's his essence. It's the very nature of God. And that everything that he does is out of love for us. There is nothing that God does that's expedient, that he does. He, he only can be good. He can only be loving. Everything he does comes from that heart. So God chose you. Because he loves you. One of the books of the Bible that I really enjoy is Song of Songs. It's a beautiful poetic book in the Old Testament. And it describes the love of the beloved and his bride. It's filled with the intensity of longing. And it describes the two lovers being completely enraptured by their love for one another. And even though these beautiful poetic verses were a description of Solomon's love for his bride, it's also regarded as a picture of, to us, of Christ's love for the church, his bride. And they're beautiful lines with lovely imagery like, his banner over me is love. And these words, you have ravished my heart with one look of your eyes, my sister, my bride. So beautiful. And I really believe they also reflect the intensity and the 
passion that Christ has for his people as his chosen bride. God chose you because he loves you. He looks on you as the apple of his eye, his precious child whom he has made an heir with his son, Jesus, his precious people on whom he set his love. You are deeply loved. If I could say each of your names, I would put that instead of you. But the Lord would say to you today, you are deeply loved and therefore I chose you. The second part of being chosen is I was chosen before the world existed. So we're going to say that over our lives. I was chosen before the world existed. We read this in Ephesians 1 verse 4. It says, he chose us in him, in Jesus, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Predestination is a great mystery, and I'm sure it's a topic of great debate as well. But as our friend Michael Eaton said, I make no claim to understand it, and I will say the same. But one thing is sure, there really is such a thing as God's predestination working in the lives of God's people. Salvation and being chosen had absolutely nothing to do with us. Paul's words, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, make it clear that God's choosing was not based on anything that we did. He chose you before the very world was even created. You were conceived in the heart of God as his beloved child before you were even conceived in your mother's womb. Let that just sink in for a minute. That is a great mystery, is it not? You were in God's heart before you were a twinkle in your dad's eye. God knew you and knew of what you would be. You see, there was nothing that was in our personality or in our intelligence or our family background or our standing in a society or our achievements that could merit us being chosen by God. There's nothing. And there was no failure, nor disgrace, nor abuse, nor sin, nor shame that could disqualify us from his choosing either. Before we had done anything, either good or bad, God had decided to have a chosen people. But the truth is sometimes people don't like this doctrine because deep down, if we're really honest, we believe that maybe God chose us because we were very, very special and could give him a good deal. We are specially talented and good to be chosen by him. Uh, we could do a lot for God if he chose us. But look at what it says in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 26 to 29. Paul says these words, Consider your calling, brothers, 
Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being may boast in the presence of God. He starts off by telling us to consider our calling, because this calling from death to life is the way we actually do experience in real time the choice that God made in eternity. And notice that Paul describes three times those whom God has chosen. God chose what is foolish. Ever felt like a fool? I won't ask you to all put up your hands. God chose what is weak. Have you ever felt weak? Physically, emotionally, mentally? God chose what is low and despised. Now, that might not be who you would choose for your team. But as John Piper says, in freedom, God explodes all worldly expectations of who is special. He blows it out the water. Being chosen by God to secure us is designed to secure for us the sweetness of humility because none of us can stand and boast before God. You see, when we're talking about self-concept and identity, and we talked about the whole thing last week of how um, so much of our identity is done through imaging and on social media and how we can convey the best side of ourselves, we can put our best images up. The world will try big us up and make us feel important by saying that we are to feel self-important and boast of our achievements. But you see, this is the freedom of identity in God. With God, we can just come clean. We don't have to pretend. We don't have to put our best photo forward. God knows us. He knows that underneath our hat is a dirty, rotten scoundrel. And he's okay with that because he chose us whether we were or weren't. We don't have to pretend He already knows that we are foolish and weak and despised, and yet he loved us. And this is true freedom, but God doesn't leave us there. These beautiful words in the Psalms, it says, he stoops down to make us great so that we can bring him joy and glory as we are transformed into the likeness of the son he loves. So I want to say today, if you're feeling like you don't measure up to the pressures and expectations of those around you, where maybe you even feel like an imposter, or you are just caught up in the striving and the drivenness of life, or maybe you feel like you've failed miserably in some areas, there is good news. You are accepted in the beloved. You were chosen so that the glory of God could be seen through your life as you allow the grace and the power of the Holy Spirit to transform you 
into the image of his son. Jesus said these words in John 15, 16. He said, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give to you. It is God who chooses us. God who draws us. God who opens our hearts to respond to his grace. He is the one who makes us alive when we were dead in our sin. He chooses us and he enables us to live fruitful lives for him. You see, when a person gets saved, I know we use that language in church, we say a person gets saved, it seems that that person, he or she, has decided for Christ. And for some of us, it can be a great struggle to believe in Jesus. We can see that if we believe in Jesus, there are going to be some big changes in how we live. Perhaps you're in that place right now in your life. You're wrestling with following Jesus. Or may, maybe you struggle for months and before you eventually you yield to Jesus and you think, I made a choice. I've surrendered to him. But in the back, behind, all along, the, your receiving Jesus was the grace of God. It may not feel like it at the time. At the time when you got saved, it felt very much like your decision to believe. I chose Jesus. Yet the words of Paul are inviting us to, to discover that we would never have opened our hearts to Jesus if it was not for the predestining grace of God, working through his spirit to help us to see his love towards us. I'm sure if you had a, a chat over coffee, and I hope you can all stay in the coffee shop for afterwards, it'd be really interesting if you asked each other, how did you come to know Jesus? And maybe if you're on that journey still, it would be interesting for you to find out from others. Because when you look back, I always say God's predestination can be best understood looking backwards. When you look back, you will see how God was guiding you and leading you all along the way. It's hard to see it going forward, but when you look back, you saw his grace. And this leads us to total humility and compassion. As the 16th century evangelist John Bradford said, but for the grace of God, there go I. You and I were chosen solely by the grace and the kindness of God. Right, so we've, the first thing we said, I was chosen because I am loved. I was chosen before the world was created. And this next one is, I was chosen for a purpose. So shall we speak that over ourselves? I was chosen for a purpose. I'm going to carry on with Ephesians 1 verse 4 and just take it on to verse 6. So I'll read that again. It says, He chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. 
So I want to look at three things. I know we could do so many more, but I'm just looking at this verse. Three things that God chose us for. He chose us for holiness. He chose us for sonship. And he chose us for worship. That word holy, uh, it's often a misunderstood word, and we think it applies to saints in stained glass windows. But the truth is that holy means that if you are chosen by God, we are made holy by that choosing. Holy simply means to be set apart, to be consecrated for God's purposes, especially commissioned by God. By choosing us, God is setting us apart for his good purposes. You are a holy people. You are holy. And that word holy and blameless, I suppose to explain blameless means you live with an honesty and a sincerity in every area of your life. Having a clear conscience in how we deal with others and being able to enjoy the approval of God in our lives. That's what God wants for us. He wants us to come to that place where we have that integrity and that honesty with ourselves even and with him and with others. And then it says, before him. We have this before him. Um, I love this, uh, that Matt Redman song which says, um, a heart of worship. What, oh, I can't even think of the song now. Uh, well, Kiara and when the music fades and all is stripped away, I simply come um, to, to worship. What is it? <laughs> Why did I use this example when I can't even think of the words? Anyway, you know the song. But we live for an audience of one. And so holiness is about living our lives with an awareness that we choose to live in a way that honors God in every detail of our lives, as that knowing that he's present with us every minute of the day, and he walks with us, and he enables us by the Holy Spirit to make those choices to live holy, to live blamelessly. And Paul says, we were chosen for this way of life. That's what God has for us. He wants us to live like that. We were chosen for holiness and a blameless life before him. You might feel like you don't feel very holy and blameless, but you were chosen for that, and that's why we're on a journey to living in greater maturity and wisdom in all those areas. The second thing is we were chosen for sonship. Once we were not God's children, but there came a time in our life when God's purpose for us was fulfilled and we were adopted as his sons and daughters. With this adoption, we were, I suppose, if you had to think of a story, maybe of a, an orphan, uh, always think of those, those children when we lived in South Africa. Um, there was a a huge rubbish dump that was like almost a mountain of rubbish. And there were these young children who lived on the rubbish dump. And they would scavenge food and bits and pieces just to keep them going. They wrapped themselves in rags. It was a very, very sad sight. And, and I think I've told the story. We had a wonderful lady in our church called Jane. 
and her heart of compassion for these young children. And she brought them in. We, we bought a house as a church, and Jane looked after these children, and she became Mama Jane, and she, she was such an amazing woman. But these children who were orphans, who were abandoned, who were living on the trash heap, were brought into a family, and they were given a mother, and they were loved, and they were cherished. It's a bit like that with us. We were living on the trash heap without anyone, without any care. And the Lord says, I'm choosing you. I love you. I'm going to adopt you as my children. And when you become a child, adopted child, you get the full rights of, of a birth child. And these are the things that we have when we get adopted into God's family. We have constant access to our Father in heaven. He's, his ear is always towards you. I know sometimes uh, 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 we can see out of our, our window, we, there's a path where people walk in our, by our house where we lived. And I always see the, the little kids walking along and the daddies are on their mobile phones walking like this. And I just think, talk to your children. But there is a, there's a sense that God gives us his complete access. He is always there for us, listening to us. We have God's provision for every area of our lives. Don't be worrying. God will provide. God will provide. We have God's protection. He is watching over you. He puts his angels around you. We have God's friendship. Jesus said, I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. I call you friends. And we get to hear the heart and the purpose of God. We get to have the Holy Spirit as our counselor and our comforter who gives us that constant reassurance that we are God's children. So it was God's delight and pleasure to make us his very own children. And I want to say, if you have felt left out on the outside, alone, remember that God chose you to be part of his family. And being chosen by God means you belong to his family. And so that's so special that we got to welcome our friends in today and some more um, next week. Because God says you belong, you are part of my family. And the third thing that we are chosen for is for worship. God does all of this, it says, to the praise of his glory and grace. There are many aspects to God's character. His power, uh, his anger against sin, his all-sufficiency. But we are not chosen to be adopted to the praise and glory of his power or to the praise and glory of his holiness. What God wants us to see more than anything is his grace. He adopts us to the praise and the glory of his grace. God wants our praise and worship because we have all experienced his grace in our lives, his unmerited kindness and love poured out from us. That's what he wants us to overflow in worship for. So I was chosen for a purpose. And I'm going to finish off with um, 
this last one, but I'm not going to go into too much depth because it's actually from a, a verse in 1 Peter, which we're going to look at in our Living Hope series. 1 Peter 2 verse 9. I was chosen for a new identity. Shall we say that together? I was chosen for a new identity. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Uh, I had to stop preparing when I was, I was just going like, oh, God, I just want to worship you. God gives us a new identity. And I just want to mention two things, and then we're going to come to a close. We are a chosen race. So remember, we're talking about identity. And I think for many of us, who we are culturally and our race is an important part, and rightly so, of our identity. But this chosen race is not white or black or Asian or any other natural grouping. This chosen race are people who are born again to a living hope. Their new identifying DNA is from the Holy Spirit. When you come into God's family, you are also born into his DNA. The Holy Spirit becomes your, it's your signifying identity. Race and ethnicity are not unimportant in our common cultural life, but they are not what unites us to God or to each other in Christ. We are a new creation, a new humanity, and in these verses, Peter says, even a new race, a chosen race, a race taken from all races, whoever believes in him. And the second thing about our identity is that we are a royal priesthood. There is no human intermediary between God and man. Jesus made a way for us to have access directly to the Father. And in the New Covenant, the Bible speaks about us all being priests, serving God through the different spiritual gifts that he gives through his Holy Spirit. And as we each find our place in the body of Christ, we're able to minister to God and to others as chosen priests. God chose you to be a priest you never thought you would see yourself as a priest, did you? But God looks at you and he says, you are my priest because I've called you to serve me. And in, a, in another part in the New Testament, Paul uses the phrase, we are the priesthood of all believers. We are chosen priests with different grace gifts that as we find our place in the body, we're able to work that out. <clears throat> 